Nupad, Paramahamsa, Parivrajakacharya, Asatara, Sattva Sri Srimad, Sattva Maharaj, Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Iskand, Founder, Acharya, Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Anantakoti, Vaishnav, Rinda, Ki Jai, Namacharya, Srila Haridas, Thakur, Ki Jai, Prem, Shikaho, Shri Krishna, Chaitanya, Prabhu, Nityananda, Shri Dvaita, Gadadhar, Shri Vasadi, Gaur, Bhakta, Rinda, Ki Jai, Shri Shri Radha, Krishna, Gogopina, Shaima, Kunda, Radha, Kunda, Giri, Govardhana, Ki Jai, Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Nabhadweep Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Gangamaya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Sarasvati Deve 
Gauravani Pacharane, Nirvasesa Sunyavadi Paschacha Deshitarane, Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha, Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Bitamstam Sajivan, Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitamscha, Vanchakapaji Vistraki Pasindavyevachapatitanam Pavanavyo Vaishnavavi Namonama. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevayas. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. February 2nd, 2023, Melbourne, Australia, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 13, Text 32. Pasyamidani nam klesham Lubdanam ajitatmanam Bayadalabda nidranam Sarvato be vishan kinam. Please chant. Nidranam Sarvato Vivisankinam Pasyami Daninam Klesham Lubdanam Ajitatmanam Bayadalabda Nidranam Sarvato Vivisankinam Pasyami daninam klesham Lubdanam adijatmanam Nam Sarvatpo vivisankinam Pasyami, I can practically see Daninam, a persons who are very rich Klesham, the miseries Lubdhanam, who are extremely greedy Ajita Atmanam, 
who are victims of their senses. So this ajita means not being, not being victorious. And here we have of their self. They're not able to control their self. Bayat, because of fear. Alabda nidranam, who are suffering from insomnia. Sarvataha, from all sides. Abhivinashkinam, being particularly afraid. Srila Prabhupada's translation. The Brahmana continued, I'm actually seeing how a rich man who is a victim of his senses is very greedy to accumulate wealth and therefore suffers from insomnia due to fear from all sides despite his wealth and opulence. Srila Prabhupada's purport. Greedy capitalists accumulate wealth under so many miserable conditions, the result being that because they collect money by questionable means, their minds are always agitated. Thus they are unable to sleep at night, and they have to take pills for mental tranquility to invite sleep. And sometimes even the pills are a failure. Consequently, the result of having accumulated money by so much labor is certainly not happiness, but only distress. What is the value of acquiring a comfortable position if one's mind is always disturbed? Narottama Das Thakur has therefore sung Samsare Bishanale Dibani Shehiya Dwale Judaete Na Kainu Upaya. I am suffering from the poisonous effect of material enjoyment. Thus, my heart is always burning and is almost at the verge of failure. The result of the greedy capitalist's unnecessary accumulation of wealth is that he must suffer from a blazing fire of anxiety and always be concerned with how to save his money and invest it properly to get more and more. Such a life is certainly not very happy, but because of the spell of the illusory energy, materialistic persons engage in such activities. As far as our Krishna consciousness movement is concerned, we are getting money naturally by the grace of God by selling our literature. This literature is not sold for our sense gratification. To spread the Krishna consciousness movement, we need so many things. And Krishna is therefore supplying us with the requisite money to advance this mission. The mission of Krishna is to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world. And for this purpose, we naturally must have sufficient money. Therefore, according to the advice of Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, we should not give up attachment to money that can spread the Krishna consciousness movement. Srila Rupa Goswami says in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 12256, when a person eager to achieve liberation renounce things which are related to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, although they are material, this is called incomplete renunciation. Money that can help in spreading the Krishna consciousness movement is not a part of the material world. And we should not give it up thinking that it is material. Srila Rupa Goswami advises, Anashaktyasya vishayan, yatarham upayunjita, nirbanta krishna sambande yukyam vairagyam uchite. When one is not attached to anything, but at the same time accepts everything in relation to Krishna, one is rightly situated above possessiveness. Bhaktivya Samrita Sindhu 12255. Money is undoubtedly coming in great quantities, but we should not be attached to this money for sense gratification. Every cent should be spent for spreading the Krishna consciousness movement, not for sense gratification. 
There is danger for a preacher when he receives great quantities of money, for as soon as he spends even a single cent of the collection for his personal sense gratification, he becomes a fallen victim. The preachers of the Krishna consciousness movement should be extremely careful not to misuse the immense quantities of money needed to spread this movement. Let us not make this money the cause of our distress. It should be used for Krishna, and that will cause our eternal happiness. Money is Lakshmi, or the goddess of fortune, the companion of Narayana. Lakshmi ji must always remain with Narayana, and then there need be no fear of degradation. Pasyami daninam klesham, lubdanam ajitatmanam, bayadalabda nidranam, sarvato bivishankinam. The Brahmana continued, I'm actually seeing how rich men who is a victim of his senses, is very greedy to accumulate wealth and therefore suffers from insomnia due to fear from all sides despite his wealth and opulence. So when I was a kid, my mother used to really like Broadway musicals. She would go around the house, often to my annoyance when I was a kid, singing songs from these musicals. And one was from Porgy and Bess, which was about uh, a woman who, had, who was choosing between two men. One was a, a rich man, and the other was not only a poor man, but a disabled man. And the poor disabled man was actually a man of high character who really loved her, and the rich man was a man of low character who didn't care about her. And guess who she picked? The rich man. Yes, it's a tragedy. So the, the poor man... Uh, he had this song that he said, I have plenty of nothing and nothing's plenty for me. He said, those who have plenty of plenty, they keep a lock on their door. They're always worried that someone will take it while they're out getting more. What for? So my mother used to go around the house singing that. <laughs> so my parents were extremely rich, uh, but they didn't live an ostentatious lifestyle. Their idea of a vacation was to go camping on a little island that they could only get to by canoe and where they had to bring a little portable toilet with them. So that was, that was their idea of, of going on vacation. And they spent the vast majority of their money for religious charity. But this idea that when you have a lot of money, if you're having a lot of money as a greedy person, that it will simply bring you misery, is well known to everyone. Here he's saying, Pasyami, I've seen. Have we all also seen this? Does everyone know this? Right, we're working with this lady who's um, a devotee lady who's going to help us take career dharma and make it into a workbook. And she's been a publisher for many years. She says she's worked with a lot of millionaires and billionaires. But most of them, not all of them, but most of them have very empty lives. Again, do we all know this? We, we all know this. It's in the news all the time about, you know, very wealthy people and how a lot of them are addicted to drugs or alcohol or, uh, you know, having so many illicit affairs. And they have so many court cases. There are, you know, they have to spend a huge amount of their money just to maintain lawyers for all the people who are trying to sue them for their money. And all the people who are envious of them. You know, we all know that when somebody wins the lottery, all of a sudden people come and try to steal the money from them. Again, we all know this. It's very difficult to have a lot of money in this world and also be happy. Isn't it? 
It's much easier to be happy when you don't have a lot. Of course, if you have not enough to live, then you're also not going to be happy. Chanika Pandit says that, you know, poverty ruins everything, ruins all good qualities. When people are completely poverty-stricken, they become uh, desperate, and they resort to uh, improper ways of living. Therefore, Prabhupada would always say, we should have enough to maintain our body and soul together. We should have enough to live comfortably in the world. But as soon as a person acquires a huge amount of money, then they're worried about their enemies because they're going to have enemies, correct? For sure, even their own family members will become their enemies. Do we all know of families who fought over inheritance money? Does everyone know of somebody like this personally? Yeah. It happened in my own family. <laughs> uh, my, my stepmother, she took all the inheritance money that I, well, not all, she took most that I would have gotten from my mother and all that I would have gotten from my father. I, like a Suruchi. <laughs> she, was a, she was a Suruchi. So this is very common. people who are very rich and they have to have, you know, security guards everywhere and they have their bodyguards going with them everywhere and all they ever think about is how can I protect my wealth and how can I get more and how can I get more? And while they're trying to so-called enjoy it, they're completely in anxiety. They can't, as Prabhupada said, it was a Shastra says here, they can't sleep at night. They can't peacefully sleep at night. You know, there's that story I'm, I'm sure you've heard of this uh, rich person who goes to a vacation spot and he's talking to this guy just, you know, selling his fruits on the, on the shore. And he says, why are you living like this? You know, why don't you come become a, a greedy capitalist like me? And you can make a lot of money. And he says, what will I do after I make a lot of money? He said, then you'll be able to come here and relax. He said, but I'm coming here and relaxing every day. <laughs> That's my life. <laughs> right. So, does that mean that nobody should make a lot of money? That's the question. All right. So, we're going to look at something that is perhaps very mysterious and not well understood even by those who are practicing Krishna consciousness. And that is, to what extent do we change the externals and to what extent do we change the motive? but keep the externals the same. This is a very bewildering thing. What drives us, what motivates us? Certainly some externals should change. But overall, the message of the Shastra is to change the motivation. To change the motivation from the modes to Mukunda who's both the giver of the liberation and has a beautiful face like a kunda flower. So let's look first at motivation by the modes. So if somebody wants to gain a lot of money because they're being pushed by the modes, what mode of nature is especially going to push people to earn a lot of money? Passion, rajagun. People who are in sattvagun and tamagun are not generally interested in making a lot of money. And people in Tamagun, if they're really deeply in Tamagun, uh, they may want to get a lot of money through criminal activities. But people in Tamagun only do what's easy. They're not going to do anything difficult. And people in Sattvagun are naturally satisfied within. 
So it's only people who are strongly motivated by Rajagun who are going to work very, very hard for money. And what does Krishna say about happiness in Rajagun? The beginning there's some little pleasure and at the end it's it's going to be like poison. So at first when someone makes a lot of money they're like, oh wow, I have you know, half a million in my bank account, I have two million in my bank account, I can buy a fancy car and I can buy a fancy house and I can fly first class and I can go on vacations where I want and I can have lots of servants and everyone will have to listen to me, wow. And then it becomes like poison. Oh my God, I got to deal with all these servants. I got to pay all the bills. I got to keep making sure money's coming. I was reading about one oil sheik that it cost him $250,000 US dollars a day just to maintain his houses and his jets and his boats. So he had to be pulling in a quarter million US dollars a day just to maintain everything. So it leads just to anxiety. Yes, that's the result of Radhakund. And Prahlad Maharaj says that when we try for happiness, we get the opposite of what we think we're going to get. You know, it looks nice, the big mansion and the big cars and the servants and everybody being polite to you and respectful to you and giving you all kinds of facility. <laughs> but it's ac you're, not, you're actually just getting anxiety. Yes, you get some little pleasures, you know, you can eat some fancy food and you can wear the best suits and sleep on a comfortable bed. But your main experience in life is going to be anxiety. So that's more being pushed by the modes. And it's, it's a funny thing because again, it looks like something pleasurable. That's why, you know, the TV shows and the movies showing Western opulence attracts so many people from poor countries. You know, one of our biggest problem in the United States is people from poor countries in Central and South America trying to get into America. Why are they trying to get into America? Because they've watched the movies and TV shows and they think, if I get to America, I'll have a, you know, huge mansion with a spiral staircase and servants and... Right? That's what they're thinking. They're thinking, you know, in my own country, then I'm, I'm a poor person, and I'll come there and become rich. And sorry to have to say this, but a lot of you who've come from India to Australia, isn't that why you came? Sorry. But I'm right, aren't I? Yeah, we'll come to, we'll come to Australia, and there we'll enjoy, and, and you generally do. And I see, again, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but like, you know, in America, our, our Indian congregation, those who've been born and raised in India, and then they've come to America and joined the Hare Krishna movement, generally they live in very big houses. We'll, we'll go to their places for home programs, and there's these, it's like, whoa, how many kids do they have? Just one, right? <laughs> do they have all their in-laws living here? Like, what is this for? Uh, we just see that, you know, that they're thinking, well, I'll come, I'll come here and then I'll be opulent. And then, of course, they find that that's, it's a package deal. <laughs> you know, you don't just have the opulence, but then you have the anxiety. 
And my children have to have opulence, and what inheritance will I give for them? And are they going to go to the best? And then, and then we push that on our children, too. This is one of our biggest challenges, those of us who run schools in the Hare Krishna movement. You know, as parents who are like, my kids got to go to the best college and they've got to get the best job and they've got to earn the most money. And I'm like, did that make you happy? I mean, I'm not going to argue that a materially comfortable life is more pleasant than a materially uncomfortable life. That's obvious. Right? Being completely poor is definitely a situation of material distress. But once you get, and this, all the research shows this, that satisfaction increases with money up to a certain point, and after that, it doesn't, it doesn't have any good effect anymore. You know, once you have enough money to live reasonably comfortably, more than that does not make you happier. And the happiest countries in the world are not the richest, are they? The healthiest countries in the world are not the richest, are they? In fact, often when you got to get a lot of money, you eat unhealthy food and you have an unhealthy lifestyle. So when we talk like this, everybody becomes terrified and thinks, oh my God, should I stop having money? Are the Hare Krishna people telling me to stop having money? And so they run the other way. That's definitely what scared my stepmother off from Krishna consciousness because when she married my father, he had already met Prabhupada many times. He was already a life member. He was, to some extent, practicing. He was chanting a little bit, offering his food, following the principles. And she would come to the temples and come to the classes. And, you know, when she heard the devotees talking against materialism and sense gratification, she started running the other direction. And she, pretty soon she ran faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. So it's very scary, and it's probably one of the main reasons why we don't have, you know, millions of adherents. Because we're, we're, we're speaking the honest truth. But does that mean that we don't have to have any wealth or luxury? So Prabhupada talks about here changing the motive. We don't have to be pushed by Rajagun or Rajagun mixed with Tamagun. Prabhupada talks here about people earning money in improper ways. That's Rajagun mixed with Tamagun. In Rajagun, you want to be very honorable. You want to be very righteous. You want to be very honest. So when you mix Thomas with it, Thomas gives this idea of, I want to get things easily. And if being honest is too difficult, then I'm not going to do that. You know, I'll be honest as long as it's easy. So there has to be some admixture of, of tamagun in there. And if there's some admixture of sattvagun, then one will try to be wealthy in some holistic way, you know, have some beautiful place in the country with beautiful gardens and things like that. But Prabhupada's saying, yes, we can have wealth, and he's saying, indeed, we need wealth for the Krishna consciousness movement. You can't maintain a temple like this without wealth. It's not possible. You can't build beautiful temples without wealth. You can't buy beautiful flowers for the deities without wealth. And in fact, we're not opposed to having unlimited amounts of wealth to use in Krishna service. But our motive should be to please Mukunda. Not that we're being pushed by the gunas. 
we should, in one sense, we should be being pulled by our attraction to Krishna, not pushed from behind from the gunas. So I was just talking to someone the other day who was, who was under this misconception, which is very common. She said, you know, for Arjuna to fight, didn't he have to be pushed by Rajagun? Otherwise, what would be his motive to fight? And I'm saying, no, Krishna said to Arjuna, fight, but nishtrigunya bhavarjuna. Fight without being affected by the modes of nature. Change what's driving you. If we change our driver, then wealth is no longer a problem. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice to be able to deal with huge amounts of wealth without the anxiety that comes along with it? Wouldn't that be nice? That's the whole spiritual world is like that. Vaikunta. The spiritual world is opulent beyond anything we can possibly imagine. I mean, even Indra's planet is thousands of times more opulent than this planet. And Brahma's planet is thousands of times more opulent than that. So what to speak of the Vaikuntas? I mean, we, we, we just can't even conceive of it. What kind of opulence there is. But there's no anxiety. So materialists are constantly, their, their whole effort is how can I enjoy the world without the negative consequences? That's their entire meditation. But it, as long as we're being pushed by the gunas, that's not possible. One cannot enjoy the world under the modes of nature without paying for it. And the payment is going to be equal to the enjoyment. That's how things work in this world you're going to end up with a net balance of zero. Whatever you enjoy, there's an equal and opposite payment for it. That's how karma works. But in spiritual life, you enjoy with no payment. Causeless, there's no payment at all. There's no negative side. There's no anxiety. And the irony is, this works, you get to enjoy without payment when you're not trying to enjoy. Weird, huh? As soon as I'm trying to enjoy something for myself, I have to pay for it. My payment will be equal to the enjoyment. I end up with a net zero. And as soon as I'm not trying to enjoy something for myself, as soon as I'm doing it for Krishna's pleasure, because I'm part of Krishna, I naturally enjoy, and I actually enjoy practically on the same level as Krishna. Prabhupada talks about this all the time. That Krishna's devotees enjoy, practically speaking, on the same level as Krishna. That's some of the liberation. Sharsti. You get to have the opulence equal to that of the Lord. You get to have a form as beautiful as that of the Lord. Actually, we already have the qualities of God. I mean, Jesus talked about this. He says, those who try to find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. But it doesn't look like that to us in materialistic consciousness. I think, well, if I give up wanting to enjoy, if I give up the gunas, then I'll just sleep all day. I won't do anything. I, there won't be anything. I have to be driven from my own personal sense gratification. But this is not actually the fact. I can be driven by love. Yes? 
Don't we all do this even materially? Don't we do things out of love where we don't personally get any tangible benefit? Doesn't everybody do that? Yeah? People act out of love for their spouse, out of love for their children, out of love for their parents, out of love for their friends. They do it out of love for their dog. What benefit do you get from a dog? I mean, people used to keep dogs for work, as working animals. But nowadays, what do you get? You get the benefit of seeing your dog happy to see you. Think about this for a minute. That's, that's why, another tip, Prabhupada was always astonished that people took such good care of dogs in, in Western countries. I think he could never quite wrap his head around it. Like, what are they doing? Because in India, people don't, well, nowadays it's starting, but generally in India, people don't do that. They can keep dogs on a farm as working animals, but they, they wouldn't, like, take the dog on a leash and walk it around and stand there while the dog poops. And, of course, in Prabhupada's time, people didn't, weren't picking up the poop. Imagine what he would say today. I mean, I'm glad they're picking up the poop. But, you know, just imagine if Prabhupada saw that, people standing, watching the dog pass stool and then picking up the stool and carrying around this little bag of dog stool with them. I just imagine, Prabhupada would go, what are they doing? But why are they doing this? They're doing it out of affection. So we all have an experience of working out of affection for another living being. And we all have the experience that we can be more motivated when working out of affection for another living being than for working for ourselves. Am I correct? So I use this example all the time because it's so clear. At Christmas time, everybody buys gifts for other people. People don't buy gifts for themselves at Christmas. And people are spending $1,000, $2,000 at Christmas to buy gifts for other people. And, it, and this is when the stores in Western countries are making the bulk of their money for the year. But if the store is advertised, why are you buying gifts for somebody else? They might not even like it, and you might not like the gifts you get. Be intelligent. Take that money and buy for yourself directly what you want. Imagine that. Everybody just spent the money on gifts for themselves and wrapped up their own gifts and put those under the Christmas tree and then on Christmas morning, everybody just unwrapped the gifts that they had bought for themselves. Would that work? Would that work? No, it wouldn't work. We, we're intrinsically wired to serve. Just hearing yesterday, Prabhupada talking about Sanatana Dharma. Sanatana Dharma, he was saying, according to Ramanujacharya, that which is Sanatana has no beginning and no end. And our Sanatana Dharma is to serve others. And we already experience how doing that is more pleasurable. Cooking a meal for someone else that they enjoy is more pleasurable than just cooking for myself. It just is. So why not find the best person to serve? If I'm wired to serve, if I'm already going to serve, why don't I serve the best person? And if I do the same activities, I don't have to change my activities. I mean, except for, you know, no meat eating, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no gambling. I don't have to change my activities. I mean, if you're running a gambling casino, you have to change your activities, yes. Okay. 
some people. I don't know if I should tell that story or not about the guy working in, should I tell that story about the guy working in the gambling casino? It's kind of a funny story. So I was in Europe and I, this was at the end of my touring Europe and the way I was managing it then, that wasn't the way I managed it this year, but anyway, the way I managed it then was that I was buying tickets and people were repaying, the temples were repaying me in cash for my tickets. So at the end of the trip, I had quite a bit of cash. Right? So I had this in the bottom of my bag and I had my bag sitting by the window and I went to the temple room and I was giving the class. And while I was giving the class, it rained. And the rain went in the window and soaked the bottom of my bag. And I had a flight that afternoon. So I go back to my room, the whole bottom of my bag is wet and all the money is completely soaking wet. I'm like, what am I gonna do, you know? So I asked the devotees, because there was only a washer in the temple, not a dryer. I mean, here you have a dryer, but most temples in Europe, they don't have a dryer. I said, is there any place I can go for a dryer? They said, well, you can go to a laundromat. They said, we have a couple devotees, they can take you to a laundromat. So these two devotees, they took me to the laundromat. We had to stop and buy, you know, one of those mesh bags that you can put delicate things in. So we bought a mesh bag and we put all this money in this mesh bag and we put it in the dryer. So I didn't know this, so this is a, perhaps a useful bit of info to know. If you get money wet and you dry it in a dryer, it crinkles. I had no idea because I had never dried money in a dryer before, so it crinkles and it, it doesn't lie flat anymore. And the same amount of money would, would now fill a huge bag, you know. So I needed to straighten it out and, and pack it now that it was dry. And it was quite a bit of money. So I didn't want to do that in front of anybody, right? So I had to wait till there was no one in the laundromat. And then I was kind of doing it furtively myself. And then I looked at these two devotees who were with me and I say, um, are, you, are either of you like non-envious? <laughs> could, that you could help me with this without being envious. And one of them said, well, I, I, I'm a cashier as a living. That's what I do. I count money. I said, okay, fine. So he's helping me. And we're trying to do it quickly before another customer comes in, right? So as we're doing it, I'm talking to him, and he starts saying that the, where he's a cashier is in a casino. So he's been coming to the temple for a year or two, but he works as a cashier in a casino. So... <laughs> While we're in the laundromat and as we're driving back to the temple, I'm preaching to him that he shouldn't be working in a casino, that he shouldn't be contributing to gambling. You know, and I was kind of heavy with him. You know, don't work in a casino. He said, how am I going to earn my living? And I said, well, you know, I'm sure Krishna will make some other arrangement. So anyway, we get back to the temple and then he gave me a hundred euro donation and I said, I'm not taking this. And he insisted, so I, I took it and I went to the temple room and just stuck it in the deity box. I said, you know, I'm, not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk taking this money. Anyway, then a couple weeks later, the temple president wrote me and he said, we've been trying to convince this guy for one or two years to give up his job. He said, and he's actually now given up his job. <laughs> and now he has a pious way of earning a livelihood. So, and my point is some things you need to give up. You know, if you're running a, a butcher shop or you're a restaurant that serves wine or, or something like that, then you actually have to change your external activities. But putting aside things like that, it's not a question of changing the external activities. If you're naturally a person who's inclined to make a lot of money, we need such people in society 
just like we need rulers and politicians and warriors like Arjuna, we also need people who are providing the wealth of society. We'll talk about this on Sunday with career dharma, what we call in career dharma the field of resources. We need people who are going to grow food and distribute food, not just grow for themselves in a little backyard. We need people who are going to do business and trade. Without these people, the world starves. And those people have to be driven people. They have to be expansive people. The Bhagavatam says in the 11th canto that the people who work in this field are always thirsty. There's a group of people that by temperament want to expand wealth and expand wealth and expand wealth and expand wealth. And that group of people is necessary in the world. In the former Soviet Union, you know, the government said these are all greedy capitalists, as Prabhupada says here. Let's take over all of the business and agriculture by the government. The government is going to be concerned about everyone's welfare, and they're not going to be greedy capitalists. And what happened when the government took over all the farms in the former Soviet Union? Huh? They were confiscated. Well, it was actually worse than that. See, I don't, have, I don't have any Russians here. If I have an audience of Russians, then everybody would say in one voice, there was a famine. Yeah. There was a famine. When the government took over the farms, the food was rotting in the field. Nobody distributed it because they didn't have the natural drive of that field. You know, in the early days of the Hare Krishna movement, of course, this canto hadn't been translated yet, but in the early days of the Hare Krishna movement, we were thinking, you know, that making money is bad. And anybody who had a job, we told them, quit your job and move into the ashram. And I remember my mother saying to me, so if everybody quits their job and moves into the ashram, how are you going to live? She said, this is, this is not a practical, sustainable, long-term plan. <laughs> she would say to me, so you're selling your books to people and you want everyone to buy those books and then they're going to just give everything up and sell those books and eventually everybody will have the books and nobody will be making any money and who will you sell the books to? And I thought she was just, you know, <laughs> I didn't appreciate that very much. But Srila Prabhupada uses the term peace and prosperity 195 times. We want a prosperous world. Krishna himself appears within the family of Vaishyas. Nandamaraj had 900,000 cows. That's pretty expensive. That's pretty expensive, folks, 900,000 cows. That's a lot of cows. You know, we're talking about producing vast amounts of, and Prabhupada says this, he said, why are you of land lying vacant? Why aren't you producing food? There shouldn't be any starvation in the world. So we are definitely interested in producing. I mean, they, they had so much dairy products. They were throwing it at each other. They had so much milk and yogurt and butter. They would have festivals, like we have a festival in Chalpati where everybody throws flowers at each other. Maybe some of you have been to that. 
every January. Hard to do that here because the flowers are so expensive. But you know, in India, you, you buy they have these like 25, 30 huge baskets of flower petals that they bring, maybe more, maybe 50, for the festival. And they're just showering the deities with flowers and then collecting the flower prasadam and throwing them on the devotees. And the Chaupati temple room is probably at least four times as long and twice as, two or three times as wide. And when you're throwing all the flower petals, there's this much flower petals. I don't know what that would be in centimeters. Like six inches. How many? What is that? 18 centimeters? Something like that. 15 centimeters. Worth of flower petals all over the... There's that many flower petals. So it, with Nandamars, there's that much yogurt. They're having big festivals. They're just throwing it at each other. This is with the Rajasuya Yagya also. They do this, right? They're just like... Like, you know, we have holy where people are throwing dye. They're throwing milk products at each other. <laughs> when I used to be the head cook at Gita Nagari, I would have to make three gallons of milk into yogurt every day, big, big container. And so I had to lift this container. So the stoves, you know, this high, and then the pots, like this big. So I had to lift, I was younger, I couldn't do this today. So I had to lift this three gallon container up, over the stove, over the pot, pour it into the pot and make yogurt, and one time I slipped and it, it spilled. And just at that moment, the head of the Goshaw walked into the kitchen. Just perfect timing, and he looks at the floor and he said, liquid religion, and he walks out. And I was like, oops. <laughs> but they would have festivals throwing milk at each other. So opulent. And there's one purport where Prabhupada says this kind of opulence is spiritual. We read in the Shastra about cities decorated with strings of pearls. That wasn't plastic pearls. It was real pearls. You know, today the pearls you buy are cultured pearls, mostly from Japan, which means they put a bunch of oysters in a, in a cage and they put plastic in the oysters and the oysters cover it with a little bit of nacre and then they sell that as pearls. But real pearls is where some tiny, tiny speck of something, like you know how you sometimes get a little speck of something in your eye? Right, there's a little speck gets in the oyster and they cover it and cover it and cover it and cover it. And one of the few places you can buy real pearls today is in Bahrain. Right, remember we saw the pearls in Bahrain? And one little strand of pearls is gonna cost you a half a million dollars. U.S., half a million dollars. How did they have, they had this, imagine if we had each of these arches strung with pearls, real pearls. And people were wearing so much, they had so much gorgeous embroidered silk. Like Christian and his queens, they're wearing it one time. Right? And then they go swimming. And then they take this one-time worn clothes and they give it to the entertainers in charity. It was pure silk woven with real gold. How opulent of a society was that? A Krishna conscious society is meant to be actually very, very, very opulent. I, I can't count how many times I've heard devotees say, well, the best thing for the world would be, you know, if the whole system crashes and everyone's in poverty. I had one devotee tell me a few weeks ago, he said, the best thing for the world would be if there's a, a nuclear war. 
I didn't say a word, but I was just thinking, well, Prabhupada says that's demoniac. <laughs> the best thing for the world would be if we could have natural prosperity. And to have natural prosperity, as Prabhupada's saying here, one has to see prosperity as the wife of God, as Lakshmi Devi. And one's motive in gaining prosperity and using prosperity has to be to please the husband of Lakshmi. And if we have that drive, then we are not going to feel in anxiety because of wealth. Now, of course, Prabhupada speaks specifically here about renunciates and preachers who are getting money in charity, which is a little different, by the way, from grahastas who are earning money. So grahastas who are earning money, they're supposed to give at least half their wealth in some way or another. But they are, they are allowed to have wealth to use for sense gratification in the grahasta ashram. But renunciates, Prabhupada says here, one cent. So whenever I read things like that, I get a little nervous because it's like, boy, I can't misuse one penny. It's pretty hard not to misuse one penny, isn't it? Like, okay, I have to account for it. When I used to, I used to be a temple treasurer in, um, in Chicago and in Boston, and we would always have to figure out the accounts down to the penny. But, but sometimes there's just some money you can't account for. It just happens. You know, no matter how hard you try, how vigilant you are, sometimes it's like, oh my God, you know, we're $15.23 short here. And of course, other times you'd be, you know, $20 extra. And you have to try to get things to work. And we would work at it and work at it and work at it and work at it until we could find some way to account for every penny. But sometimes, sometimes it just, you just can't. But the point here is that those of us who get charity for the Krishna consciousness movement should be extremely careful that we're actually using that money in charity. That we don't get pulled back into the gunas. And the house orders should be careful that they're actually using money in the service of Narayana, that they're not pulled into the gunas. So whether we're a householder or a renunciate, the point is how to use opulence as Lakshmi rather than as Durga. How to be Hanuman instead of Ravana, basically, is what it comes down to. You know, Ravana is trying to capture Sita for himself and take her away from Ram and enjoy her. Did he ever get to enjoy her? And what was the result? Destruction. Our, we, our drive, our motive, we don't want to bring us to destruction. We want to have it bring us to devotion. Did Hanuman have just as much drive as Ravana? Was Hanuman as motivated as Ravana? Yeah, I think so. But he wasn't motivated by the modes. He's motivated by Mukunda. He's motivated by, by Ramachandra. But he was just as driven to jump over the ocean, to deal with all the demons on the way, to be willing to be dragged into Ravana's court. He was, I'd say, more motivated than Ravana. I mean, you may be surprised that motivation in Sattvagun is unbreakable. Motivation in Rajas is only there when you think you're going to get a good result. So people think, I need Rajas or I need Thomas to motivate me. You don't. Sattva is more motivating and Bhakti is even more motivating. 
Again, even materially. People are willing to die for love, aren't they? Yes? Love of their country, love of their family. Most people are not willing to die for love of their money, but they're willing to die for love of their family. One's more motivated. So how are we going to change our motivation? That's what we need to change. The materialists are thinking, how can I get the enjoyment without suffering? And they're thinking within the modes of how to do this. Are you follow what I'm saying? That the sum and substance of material thinking is how can I get materialistic enjoyment without having to suffer for it? Those in Tamagun think, well, the way to do that is by stealing. The, in Rajagun, they think the way to do that is by working really, 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 really hard, honestly. People in Sattvagun think the way to do that is to always be in balance. But even in Sattvagun, there's karma. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to change our motivation? So here we are looking at different actions. Because I was saying, materially, we don't really have to change our actions, we just have to change the motivation. You can still be working to earn a lot of money, or you can still be fighting your enemies on the battlefield, you can still be ruling the government, you can still be making chairs, you can still be studying philosophy, whatever you would have done in the world, but you're changing your motivation. But we do also have to change some actions, because unless we change some actions, we're not going to be able to develop the spiritual motivation. And that's what sadhana bhakti is about. Sadhana Bhakti is doing specific actions that are going to cultivate this change in motivation. So then when I do my regular work, I'm doing it with a changed motivation. And again, if we want to have a material example, if you're going to work for your family, you need to also spend some time with your family and have a relationship with your family. If all you're ever doing is working for your family, working for your family, working for your family, working for your family, and you never actually have any time with your family and any relationship with your family, that's not sustainable. Does this make sense to everybody? Yeah? So if I'm going to work for Krishna, I need to spend some time with Krishna. I have to have a relationship with Krishna. I actually have to feel love for Krishna. People are sacrificing for their wife, their husband, their children because they feel something for them. I have to feel something for Krishna. I have to actually care. And it can't be just official. It's not like I'm going to officially, I'm going to chant my rounds. Okay, I've finished my rounds, officially done. I've offered my food. Here, Krishna, take your food. It's not going to work as a ritual. We have to develop some actual feeling. And if I have some love for Krishna, if I have some love for Srila Prabhupada, I have some love for Guru, then my motive can change. And then that love can saturate everything that I'm doing. And then I'm doing it for Krishna's enjoyment, which naturally brings me all the enjoy more enjoyment than I could ever even imagine. And then whether externally I'm prosperous or not, whether externally I'm a success or failure, right? Externally happiness, distress, success or failure, honor, dishonor, fame, infamy, friends, enemies, will be irrelevant because I'll be satisfied from within. I'll be able to work in a detached way. I mean, Srila Prabhupada tried to make a lot of money for preaching, didn't he? As a house order, his guru said, preach in English to English-speaking people. And he thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I have to have a lot of money. 
let me make a successful business. Hare Krishna. And Prabhupada had pharmaceutical offices, right, and, and shops in many parts of India, and he was becoming very successful, and he was like, okay, it's getting to the point now. All but one of my children are married, and as soon as I have my last child married, then I can just take this money from the business and do preaching, and then his whole business just collapsed. And Prabhupada said he was thinking, did I make some mistake? Did I do something wrong? I must have made some mistake. Krishna must be displeased with me that my business collapsed and I lost everything. And he said, then I realized Krishna wanted me to work in another way. And then Prabhupada lived for years in, in poverty. For four to five years he had no home even. He was struggling to get Paisa to go on a train. But because he came with nothing to America, nobody can say, well, the success of the Hare Krishna movement was due to, you know, money and connections. We look at it and we can say the success was due only to Prabhupada's purity because that's all he had. <laughs> A pair of cartels, some poorly printed books in India with, with poor English, you know, low quality paper, low quality printing, spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes, the lines weren't even even... The subject was very difficult. So, you know, a box of books like that and a pair of cartels and a bag of oats, you know. But it was due to his spiritual potency. And Prabhupada was happy in both. So when we're actually developing love for Krishna, then we're satisfied from within. We can be as driven as Hanuman. Yes, let me capture Sita and bring her to Ram. Let me capture, let me, let, me, let me rescue Lakshmi from the Ravanas of the world and make actually a kingdom of God on earth that's full of prosperity in Krishna consciousness. And if Krishna uses me as his instrument for that, that's wonderful. And if he doesn't, that's also wonderful. I'm enjoying the process of working for Krishna. I'm enjoying every minute of working for Krishna. I'm not attached to the results. One shouldn't even be attached to being renounced. This is what happened to Sudama Brahman, according to our Acharyas. He was so proud of his renunciation. And Krishna's like, nope. You get wealth. <laughs> yeah? So that's how we change our motivation. And then we may appear to be like anyone else. A devotee might appear to be like a greedy capitalist, but they're going to be able to sleep at night and they're not going to be full of anxiety. They're not going to have the problems that's being mentioned in this verse. They're always going to be blissful. Again, externally, someone may look at them and say, oh, you're working hard to make so much money. How many cows do you have? <laughs> How much acreage do you have? How much, right? It will look like that externally. Like it looked on the battlefield, Arjuna's fighting, Duryodhana's fighting. It didn't look that much different. Somebody's, you know, Kolovich's Shridhar is making pots and somebody down the street is making pots. It's not like externally it looks different, but the motive is different. So by hearing about Krishna, by chanting about Krishna, by serving Krishna, we should be falling in love with Krishna. 
And then we're like, Krishna, I want to take the talents and proclivities and inclinations that I already have. Whether they came from the modes of nature, wherever they come from, it doesn't matter. I want to take these things that I already have and I want to use them to unite Lakshmi and Narayan, to unite Sita Ram, to unite Radha Krishna. Out of love for you, for your glory. And then Krishna naturally shares his enjoyment with his devotees. So that's what we want to do. We want to change what's motivating us from the modes of nature to loving service to Mukunda. Change your motive. Change our motive from the modes to Mukunda. Do you like that? I thought of that last night. I was trying to think of how to put this. Change what drives us from destruction to devotion. That was another one I thought of. Maybe you can think of your own, but I was playing with it for quite a while. What's driving us? What's motivating us? What are we doing it for? Who are we doing it for? Why are we doing it? We don't have to change generally, unless you're counting money in a gambling casino. You don't generally have to change the externals of what you're doing. And when we work like that, not only are we happy and detached, but we're going to go back to home, back to Godhead. It becomes our rightful claim, Dayavak. We have a natural inheritance in the kingdom of Godhead. Where there's no, um, we, when no one has to even struggle, Karshati, no one has to struggle with the modes. <laughs> it just naturally, right? everything is a manifestation of the goddess of fortune. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, chastisements. Yes. And by the way, we'll talk about this a lot more on Sunday with career dharma. How to, how to work in the world as, as, a, as a transcendentalist. Yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Um, there's a lot of points. I like that point of um, you, you're motivated by the affection. Yes. Um, so you do more for others than oneself. Yes. That, that, um, so now, in a, in a practical situation, most of them working for their family or for their loved ones. That's what Prabhupada always says. Yes. Now, now we, when we come to Krishna consciousness, like, um, so we are, for me personally, it's like very theoretical of developing affection towards Krishna. And then other point is, are we adding Krishna as one of the members to do for Krishna also and for my family, or are we replacing that affection towards the family to Krishna? Ah ha ha. So um, when we saw Srila Prabhupada in 1976 in New York, so I was sitting just like you're sitting there. How old is she? Two and a half. Yeah, so my son was one and a half. So I was sitting like that in the audience. My grandson who's with me, Devesha, his father. So I was sitting in the, in the room in Prabhupada's personal quarters. We were having a darshan with Prabhupada and my one and a half year old son was on my lap. And Prabhupada pointed at me and he said, just like this mother is loving her child without expectation of return, in that way one should love Krishna. So then my, my father asked Srila Prabhupada, will loving her son help her to love Krishna? And Prabhupada said, no, but loving Krishna will help her to love her son. <laughs> So it's not exactly that we either add Krishna or replace. 
You know, it's not that I add Krishna, okay, I'm working for my husband, my kids, and Krishna. And it's not that I don't care about my family anymore, I just care about Krishna. We've, we've seen both of those, but the, it's neither. When I care about Krishna, naturally I care about those who are dear to Krishna. If I love Krishna, I should love everyone who loves Krishna. And if I love Krishna, I should love everyone who Krishna loves. Prabhupada will give the example that when you marry someone, you immediately have a relationship with everyone else in their family. Of course, generally in this world, that's not always so pleasing. Okay, I love you, but I'm not quite sure about that brother-in-law over there. <laughs> but that, that's the idea, that you know, once you establish a relationship with Krishna, then you have a proper relationship with everyone else. Srila Bhakti writes wonderful songs about this. He was saying that I see my family members as your servants, Lord. I see the house as belong. This is your house. These are your servants. And I am earning money to take care of your house and your servants. Just like Aniruddha and Achintarupa, they said they, they accepted all the devotees as their children, right? They had two children that passed away. And then they accepted all the devotees as their children. So if you're a householder, you, that's the idea of having an altar in your house. Even if you just have pictures and not a deity, the idea of having, this is your house, Lord. You have Gorni Thai or Radhakrishna or Jagannath or whatever. You know, you have, the, this is your house. The money belongs to you. The house belongs to you. And then you're like the temple president. Maybe the husband's like the temple president, the wife's like the temple commander, and the kids are the ashram residents. Mm -hmm. yeah. But really, one should see like that. This place belongs to you. Just like in some places, the um, accounts are read out to the... Just like we read out how many books are sold, how many plates are prasadam, and, and how much... We call, say Lakshmi, how much Lakshmi is... Lakshmi points, we call them. <laughs> I mean, really, the full account should be given to the deities. Maybe not read out loud because everybody in the temple room would fall asleep, but you know, maybe like a printout or something and should actually be shown to the deities. Just like we have a meeting of the management board, you know. Include the Lord. I was introducing Aniruddha to my grandson, and I said, he's in charge here. He said, no, 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 the deities are in charge. So think that way practically. You know, even if it's just you, just you living in your little room in the ashram, you know, have a, you can have a little picture of Krishna in your room. He's the owner of your room. What did I do today? That he's the boss. We're all servants. Just like wealthy people, they have servants who live in their home, correct? You don't see that. Even in India, where you still have a very active servant class, they don't usually live in the homes. They usually are coming during the day. But at least when I was growing up, we had a servant's quarters in our, in our home. We had servants who actually lived in our home. And if you're extremely rich, then you're going to have a whole lot of servants in your home. I mean, we never had more than three. But if you were going to have like a lot of servants, and then you have the person who manages the servants. Like I know in the American government, the president has the chief of staff. That's basically like the head butler, you know, managing all the servants. 
So if you're the main adult in the household, guess what? You're the chief of staff. It's the Lord's house, the Lord's the master, and everyone else there is a servant, and you're just simply managing the servants. So that's not and Krishna, and it's not or Krishna. It's Krishna, and all of us have the correct relationship with Krishna. And how nicely do I want to take care of Krishna's servants? Like even I'm traveling with my grandson, so of course that's family, but it's not quite the same as traveling with my own kid. Like he wanted to, he wanted to uh, we were staying with some devotees in Brisbane, and we were all going out, and he wanted to stay alone in the house. And I said, I, don't, I just don't feel comfortable with that. We're in a foreign country. You're far away from anybody if you needed any help. I mean, he's almost 17. He said, you're always saying I'm almost an adult. I said, yeah, but almost is the word there. And, and I said, and I'm responsible for you. I said, you know, if you were my own kid, I might feel a little differently about it. But you're my grandkid. In other words, I feel a, a greater sense of responsibility when I'm watching someone else's kid. Any of you who have children, you know what that's like? So the kids were watching, guess what? There's all someone else's kid. They're all Krishna's kids. Our spouse belongs to Krishna. Our kids belong to Krishna. Our parents belong to Krishna. They're all his. How do we know that? Because he can take them away whenever he wants. Without even notice. Sometimes he gives notice. You got notice, yeah? You got a, you had a long notice. With my grandson Chakra, we got no notice. He just took him. That means they belong to him. They're not, they're not ours. But I'm taking care of them. So I don't know if I can tell the story without crying, but I will try because I don't want to sit here and cry. This is, this is a true story. So there was this Jewish rabbi and his wife. They had two sons, teenage sons, who were like the jewels of the community, scholars and, and well-behaved and like that. And uh, One day the rabbi went, as, as usual, to the synagogue to teach. And during that time, both the boys came down with a disease and died just in a few hours. Sometimes that happens like with cerebral meningitis or certain diseases people die very quickly from. So he comes, he hadn't even heard about it yet, and he came home in the afternoon, and his wife greets him at the door and says, my dear husband, some time ago, a merchant was traveling through. In those days, they didn't have banks. He said, a merchant was traveling through and gave me two valuable jewels to keep while he was traveling, and today he came and asked for them back. What should I do? And he says, well, you have to return them. I don't think I can tell the rest of the story without crying. So that, that's our actual situation. If Krishna said, here, I've given you some jewels, my precious jivas, they may look like this is my husband or this is my mother or this is my child, but they're Krishna's jewels. And how nicely we want to care for them. Like that. Is that all right? Or like your house sitting, you know? I, I have a house in India 
that uh, I just started to rent it out to people. I was very hesitant. Everyone said, don't rent it out. People will wreck the house, you know. <laughs> anyway, Beer Krishnamars begged me. He said, I have a disciple coming from Sydney and he doesn't have any place to stay and would you rent it to him? So I, I, I think I was a terrible landlord because I was so nervous. I said, I've never rented it out before. Don't break anything. And he's like, you sure you want to rent it to me, Mataji? I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, before he, poor guy. <laughs> anyway, before he left, he took pictures of everything in the house. Oh, and he also thoroughly cleaned the house. I said, you didn't have to do that. I said, you know, the devotee managing it can hire a cleaner. But they cleaned everything in the house, you know. And he sent me pictures where everything was clean and everything was in order. And he said, Mataji, I really see this as your house. And so I wanted to leave it better than I found it. Like Prabhupada said, a Brahmin always leaves a place cleaner than they found it. I, even when I use airplane bathrooms, I'll often, like if there's towels on the floor, I'll pick them up. It's Krishna's. So you'll take better care of the house, you'll take better care of your family because you're thinking, this belongs to somebody. I'm just, that, you know, Krishna's just letting me stay here. <laughs> Krishna's giving me the privilege of working with these jivas. Yes? Oh, you always have such good, you gonna have another really good question for me? You had such a good one the other day. Krishna Mataji, thank you for the nice class. Um, Mataji, you mentioned that devotees get material opulence by the will of the Lord, like we see in the case of Sudama and the fruit seller of Vrindavan. So Mataji, I'd like to ask, at which level does this material opulence become a disqualification for bhakti? Because we hear in lectures that bhakti is where we perform austerities and penance. Your austerity is to give up your false ego. That's your austerity. All the other external austerities we do are to help us to give up the false ego. Srila Goswami says that if you just perform a lot of austerities, your heart just becomes harder. We can become, perform austerities, I'm so austere. And actually, Srila Goswami says that jnana and vairagya are not part of bhakti. They're results of bhakti. But just cultivating gyan and vairagya will not lead you to bhakti. What austerity should we do? That depends upon your ashram and your varna. So the austerities you should do as a grahasta vaisha are very different from the austerities you're going to do as a sannyasi. But the main austerity all of us are supposed to do is to give up our false ego. And that's the only austerity we don't want to do. We may not mind fasting for a day. But giving up our false ego, that's a whole other thing. Prabhu, you know you made this mistake. I never make any mistake. What do you mean I made a mistake? How dare you? We are just envious of me. So, you know, 
we can fast from water for a day, but to give up our false ego, that's a whole different thing. Prabhupada often quotes, you know, the whole purpose of austerity is to fall in love with Krishna, and if you've already fallen in love with Krishna, you don't need to do any austerity. And Prabhupada would often say our austerities are just no meat-eating, no intoxication, no illicit sex, and no gambling. That might not seem very austere to those of us who've been living like this for a long time, but for the world in general, those are very big austerities. If you go to people in the world in general and say those four things, they'll go, oh my God, really? Only eating food offered to Krishna, only eating food cooked by devotees and offered to Krishna, that's a huge austerity. For most people in the world, that's a huge austerity. Is that okay? Thank you. All right, we'll take one more. Yeah. Hare Krishna, Mataji. Thank Hare you for a nice class. Um, as you said that uh, less money is also not good or too much money is also not good. But current circumstances like one is in a good job earning good money, but then that person is suffering from the insecurity that what if, if I lose the job tomorrow. So let's work extra hard now, accumulate some money and later on then I can practice better Krishna consciousness. But you may not have a later on. Yeah, and that's a risk, but... Uh, you may not have a later on. Yeah. <laughs> but how to then overcome You don't know if you're going to have a later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds... Uh, and you don't know if that money you accumulated will be there later on, even if you have a later on. Yeah. But then how to overcome... H how many ways are there that you could lose that money you'd accumulated? A lot, right? Like... If you lost a job, then you have to survive on that. Lost a job. Just, you know, most of our money right now is just, is just dots on a screen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But then how to overcome I mean, mo the anxiety? Most of, our, most of our money right now is not, I'm, I'm working on it. Hopefully in five minutes you will have lost that anxiety. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that right now. Yeah. So first of all, will you, are you guaranteed to have a later? No. No. Might today be your last day in this body? Yes. Yes. And Krishna has many ways he can do that. Yes. 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 Okay. Are you guaranteed that even if you have a later, that the money you've accumulated will be there for you in your later? No. No. Prabhupada couldn't do that. He tried to have money for later. It didn't work. Yes. Are there lots, of, and especially now when our wealth is just in, in numbers, Yes. And I know that because I sell books and people don't even have cash. They don't even have the paper money. Yes. It's all numbers. Electronic money. It's all electronic money. How easily could you lose that? Yes, easily. Very easily. Yeah. Now, even if you had money in the kind of wealth people used to have, which was land and gold, you know, a war will do it. I mean, and we may feel very secure here in Australia. You haven't had very many wars on your Australia. World War II hit you a little bit, I think. Yeah? I think like kind of the edges, you, edges of your country got hit by World War II. Mm -hmm. So we can, you know, we feel a lot more secure than, say, the Europeans who are constantly having wars. Or the Africans who are constantly having wars. But all it would take is a war. Mm. 
you know, in war, the enemy comes and they just kick you out of your house and they take your gold. And, or it can be a robber. Yeah. You know, I, I remember speaking to one family where they had, I mean, they, they had guard dogs and they had an electric fence and some thieves threw poison meat over the electric fence and poisoned the dogs. Mm -hmm. Went in the house, Indian family, and they knew right where to go. They went to all the wedding jewelry, you know. So, you don't know if you're going to have a later, and you don't know if you're going to have a later whether or not the money that you've saved up for your later will be there. So let's try to give up anxiety right now. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking, I'm going to make all these preparations so I can give up anxiety in the future, but now I'm going to be anxious? No. Does that sound like a nice way to live? And then you're never going to be not anxious, by the way. Because even if, you, let's say even you have a later and your money still exists in your later. Suppose you get like very, very sick and your insurance doesn't cover it and your money isn't enough for all your medical expenses in your later. How are you going to have enough? In career drama, we talk about people, we talk about this in terms of giving charity, people who have like 50 million pounds worth of money and they say, well, I still don't feel secure. I'll feel secure when I have 100 million pounds. Yep. At, at, what, at what point do you get where you're not going to reach that point? So let's be free of anxiety right now. Hmm. Who's maintaining you? Krishna. Is he smart? Yes. Is he kind? Yes. Does he love you? Yes. Is he going to do anything that will actually hurt you? No. No. Hmm. The person who's running the show is my best friend. Yes, you may be poor. Prabhupada became poor. He became so poor he didn't have enough paisa practically to take a train. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my own adult life, I was brought up in a very, very wealthy family. But in my, in my life in the Hare Krishna movement, there's been three times when I was... I was so poor I had less than a dollar. I consider that poor. <laughs> I had less than a dollar. I mean, one, one time my husband said, Ormila, can you count how much money you have in your, in your wallet? And altogether we had 73 cents. Mm. <laughs> I was expecting our third child at that time. Mm. Six months later we had enough money to put a down payment on a house. That was interesting. What I've experienced is that when Krishna doesn't give me money, when Krishna gives me money, I can still be happy. Of course, I get afraid to say that because the last time I said that was in Puerto Rico. And this was right after one of those three times when I didn't even have a dollar. Like, I literally did not have a dollar. And I was staying in the ashram in Puerto Rico and my god sister asked me to help with her business. And I'm not a business person, so it was... It was not a pleasant experience. But anyway, so once a week I was helping her because one of her employees had quit. And I was being paid on commission for selling like hand lotion and things like that. So I was, I'd worked for two weeks and I'd made $50 each week. So I had $100. Okay. And I'm living in a little room in the ashram and I generally didn't lock the door. But on Sundays we had to lock the door because the guests would come. And that Sunday I was giving the Sunday feast class and I forgot to lock the door. 
so you already know what happened, right? <laughs> and during that Sunday feast class, I was talking the way I'm talking now. <laughs> so now I'm a little like... <laughs> As St. Krishna gives, he takes away. Whether he gives or takes away, we can still be happy. And I go back to my room and he had taken away. <laughs> and I just started laughing. I'm like, okay. It's like Krishna's saying, do you believe that? I'm like, okay, I believe it. Right, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen, okay, you would, your whole family would reject you. All your friends would reject you. Everybody would say you're a terrible person. You'd be homeless. Let's make it even worse. You'd be quadriplegic, in terrible pain, homeless, having to get food from dumpsters, and your whole family has rejected you. Okay? What are the chances that that's going to happen? Very low. Very low. Okay, I'd put it as extremely low. Yeah. And if Krishna wants that to happen, is there anything you can do about it? No. No. So let go. Mm. Sometimes devotees will say to me, Ermila, I've lost everything. I'm like, everything, really? Like everything? You don't have one friend in the world? You have nothing to wear? I just lost everything. Even homeless people often have friends with other homeless people and some charitable person who gives them something. You know, I, I read a, a, a book a while ago of this guy who was a prisoner of war in Vietnam and put into like solitary confinement for something like five or six years. I mean, he really had nothing. And they would tap messages. They made a code and they would tap messages to the other prisoners. If they were caught, they would be beaten. I mean, they didn't even have a mattress, okay? They had nothing. They didn't have clean water. Didn't have any decent food. But he had faith, and he found this interesting story. When he was parachuting out of his plane, he said it was the first time he'd prayed in like 10 years. And he grew in faith. One of my, I'll end with this. So, any, how many of you have read Salted Bread? Anybody here read the book Salted Bread? Okay. So, Sachi Sutta was at the end, he was put into, he and Sarvabhavana, they were put in Sarvabhavana, they were put into Soviet labor camps. And Sachi Sutta was very ill, so he was in the infirmary. Sarvabhavana was, was doing some sewing work, but Sachi Sutta was in the infirmary, and he died there. So, years later, the devotees met a man on Harinam, who said, oh, I was with one of your members in a Soviet prison. We were in the infirmary together, and he died there. And they said, could you tell us what happened? They didn't know what happened, you know. Could you tell us what happened? Okay, so you're in the infirmary of a Siberian Soviet labor camp. Do you have prasadam? No. Do you have any devotee association? Do you have any books? Do you have any wealth? I think we really have like everything, right? I think that's, that's an everything. So the man describes, he said, so, so Sachi Sutta had been basically hardly able to get out of bed, but one day, and this often happens, people rally at the end, you know? So he said one day, he was out of bed and he said, I feel so much better today. He said, could you, could you help me shave my head? He said, I shaved his head except for a little hair. He said, just like the way you guys are like that. 
And then he said he took some toothpaste and he, he said he put it on his head like you have that on your head. And then he took one of the magazines in the infirmary and he cut it up and made it into like a necklace. And then he was sitting, he said he was sitting in the middle of the room, just sitting like this and just chanting. He said, and I had to go see the doctor. And when I came back from seeing the doctor, he was still sitting there, but he wasn't making any sound. He said he has this big smile on his face. And I said, I, I'm back. And he didn't answer me. And then I touched him and he fell over. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you have everything or whether you have nothing, Krishna will be there for you. And that is your wealth. And that is your security. And that is your peace. And you can access that now. So out of your duty to Krishna, out of your service to Krishna, you want to put something aside for emergencies. That's part of the duty of a householder is to have something put aside for emergencies. But our security is in Krishna. And that if he takes every, if he, if Krishna chooses to take everything away, he will never take away himself. We will always have him. We will always have access to him. The other things we cannot control. So anxiety is coming from trying to control what you cannot control. So we should end here. Thank you very much. Shiva Prabhupada Kija.